Guys, thank you for coming to our Foundations for Racial Conversations. I always forget what we call these meetings. Um, yeah, so I'm going to start us off by uh, praying, and then we're just going to jump into it. So to give a kind of an overflow of the night tonight, the plan is for me to teach, Lord willing, under like just about, just about 35 minutes, depending on how many tangents I go on, and then... Um, and then we will take some time to break off into discussion groups. Um, maybe like four to five people per group. And then um, the discussion questions are in the outline as well. And then we'll spend some time praying together. And then we'll finish with uh, one song that we'll sing together. And all that should be in your outline. The lyrics should be on the very last page of that. And um, so I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to preach. And we'll get after the rest of it. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come together and look at your word and examine with your spirit. I pray that uh, as I preach this evening, you would help my words to be helpful, help me to preach with clarity and conviction and joy <laughs> and authority and liberty. God, we, we want you to be honored tonight. We want... <laughs> the people leaving this room, not to be burdened, but to be overjoyed <laughs> at the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you use me and my frailty and my weakness to do this? We love you. We love the gospel. We love your word. And that's what we want to leave people with tonight. So help me to do that, Lord. Um, I'm excited for tonight, God. We can anticipate great things from tonight because you're a God who delights in building your church so would you build Covenant Fellowship Church tonight? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Title of my sermon is The Reality of Ethnic Sins and the Joy of Our Justification. Uh, primarily, we'll be looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> and my main point is the sufficiency of God's word equips us to acknowledge partiality in our hearts, forgive it in others, and celebrate the reconciliation that Christ has achieved. <clears throat> Racism, ethnicity, justice, critical race theory, anti-racism, wokeness, anti-wokeness, <laughs> words that cause offense and send us to our respective corners ready to box everyone and anyone in the room. America does not know how to handle the topic of ethnic unity and harmony and the joyful flourishing of multi-ethnic life together. Many solutions have been proposed, and even evangelical Christians are either scratching their heads, screaming at one another, or mocking opponents who fall outside of their tribe. But we believe in the inerrancy of God's word and believe that every word is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So what we need to do is we need to stiff-arm the culture war mentality and hold fast joyfully to the word of God. Ethnic sins are the category we're going to be looking at, and God's word has a lot to say about sin and our hearts and how God feels about these different facets of partiality in our lives. On this side of heaven, sin will have to be continually confessed, confronted, and killed. <laughs> if we believe we are guiltless in this area, we've stopped listening to God's word and have started listening to the culture. If we are hopeless in this area, 
we have stopped listening to God's word and have started listening to the culture. Let's not get accidentally catechized by our favorite media and news outlets that pour gasoline on the fiery flesh of ours. Racism is not over. Please don't believe that lie. Racism is also not everywhere. Please don't believe that lie. We'll be looking at a few scriptures, but primarily we'll be in James chapter 2. As I said earlier, I'm eager to get into this and experience the transforming, joyful hope that the gospel can bear on the topic of ethnic sins. The gospel speaks into this. And if we don't know this, we will allow, whether intentionally or unintentionally, will allow the culture and secular ideologies and the media to determine our thoughts surrounding ethnicity. God won't govern us, but the world will. The categories presented by the world are the following. Everyone and everything is racist, or no one is racist. That all ended with slavery. It's a hard truth, but we're all far more susceptible to ethnic sins than any of us want to admit. And I'm including myself in that as well. If you guys will look at your outlines, we're going to actually walk through these categories of common ethnic sins. Uh, these things can be found in Shai Lin's book that came out last year called The New Reformation. The book is fantastic. I'll probably rant about that more later. Um, you've got a longer definition in your outline, but I'm just going to read probably like the first sentence or so under these. But I want you guys to follow along so that as I'm talking about ethnic sins, you guys have categories for what I'm describing. Ready? Ethnic hatred. This is an active passionate disdain for another group or person based on their ethnicities. Biblical examples of this would be Hema toward the Jews and Jonah toward the Assyrians. That's Esther 9.24 and Jonah 4.1. Ethnic pride. Ethnic pride is when a person has feelings of superiority concerning the ethnic group they belong to. This is often accompanied by viewing other ethnic groups as inferior. Biblical examples of this would be Goliath concerning Israel, 1 Samuel, and the Jews concerning Gentiles, Romans 2, 17-29. And obviously these aren't the only examples in Scripture. These are just some that were included in that book that were helpful. Ethnic favoritism or partiality. Ethnic favoritism is the practice of giving unjust preferential treatment to one person or group on the basis of their ethnicity. In James, the favoritism was on the basis of economic status, but obviously the command forbids favoritism on any basis, including ethnicity. Another example is Galatians 2, when Peter chooses to eat with the Jewish Christians rather than the Gentile Christians. Ethnic oppression is the unjust or cruel exercise of power or authority toward a person or people on the basis of their ethnicity. Biblical examples are the Hebrews by the Egyptians in Exodus 3 and the oppression of Israel by the Midianites in Judges 6, uh, 1 through 10. Ethnic idolatry is, the, <laughs> is elevating one's own ethnicity or someone else's to a place that causes the person to break the law of God. Biblical examples of this are Miriam and Aaron uh, criticizing Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. We'll get more to that later. And Solomon with his foreign wives who led him to worship false gods. And then finally, ethnic neglect is failing to care properly for one or for another person because of their ethnicity. Biblical example, the priest and the Levite who were guilty of ethnic neglect in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and also how the disciples responded to the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, 23. Shalane concludes this section by saying, all of these sins at the root is a failure to uh, love neighbor as self. They cover a, ride, a wide range enough to indict most of us. Any Christian who balks, balks at the possibility 
of struggling with ethnic sins would look at this list and see temptations that have gripped their own hearts. And I would add, praise be to God that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover these sins as well. We can glory in our shame because of the cross of Jesus Christ. If we actually believe that Christ got done what needed to get done on the cross, then I myself ought to have no fear and no shame confronting the ethnic sins in my own heart because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. All of my sins are actually forgiven. But if we don't function as if those things are true, we'll continue to stuff prejudice and bias and partiality underneath. We'll start putting them in the category of respectable sins and dishonor other image bearers and sin against God himself. These sins are serious. We all have ethnic sins that we need to be forgiven of, and we all have a perfect Savior who has covered our ethnic sins. Again, if the Bible is profitable for teaching, reproof, and rebuke in every area of our lives, except for race, ethnicity, and partiality, then it's safe to say we're missing out on something. Genesis 5-6 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Or in 1 John where it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, if like me, you desire to be corrected by the inerrant word of God and shaped and conformed more into the image of Christ in this area as well, then let's get after it. I want to be holier in this area. I want, when God is talking to me about how I I did on this side of heaven regarding racial unity in the church, I want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's pitfalls on every side. So we need to be steadfast in God's word. We need to be loving God's word and staying in it. Because of Christ's saving work, we can honestly examine ourselves and readily receive and extend. That's huge. We can readily receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness for partialities and other ethnic sins. Again, Main point, the sufficiency of God's word equips us to acknowledge partiality in our hearts, forgive it in others, and celebrate the reconciliation Christ has achieved. Let's read our text for this evening, James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you 
are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God, would you bless the preaching of your word and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God opposes and forbids partiality. That's point number one. God opposes and forbids partiality. In our text, James is addressing the hearts and the motives of this church. When he, when he says evil thoughts, he's questioning their motives. Other translations have, have you're showing partiality with evil motives. If you claim the name of Christ, he says, then the way you orient towards those in the church better line up. Because if it doesn't, you are a transgressor of the law. (laughs) James is calling them to lay down wicked motives and to give some feet and action to the faith that they claim. How we live has got to line up with the faith that we proclaim. Partiality and our motives. Our hearts are wicked. (laughs) The Bible is very clear in that. When we are showing partiality, we are dishonoring image bearers. When we're showing partiality, we are are elevating ourselves to a God-like judgment. We're saying, God, I know we're all created equal in the image of God and we all have dignity, but I've got some other ideas that I think can kind of outweigh your good and righteous rule. We are wicked with bad motives. We cannot elevate ourselves to God-like judgment because we do not judge purely. The text says, if we show mercy, we receive mercy. This text is corrective towards us, but as always, there is hope in the scriptures when they adjust us. Even in the first lines, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in who? In the sweet name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it is in him, it is in him. He's called us into this holy living, but he himself has accomplished and fulfilled all of the law, and his sacrifice was enough. So we go forward knowing that we are covered. So as we pursue this, just because we're covered doesn't mean we sit back and let things play out. We also pursue this type of ethnic unity. We pursue a limiting partiality in our, in our hearts, in all of our infantile tumbling and failures. But our union with Christ seals the mark of this guaranteed statement, well done, good and faithful servant. We ourselves need to be cleansed of our partiality, and we need to confess it. There is joy and power that comes when we are walking in the light and confess our sins. From Psalm 51, it says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Listen, for you will not delight in sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite God, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When we are humble, when we admit our faults and our sins and our failures, God delights in our sacrifices. Partiality is against God's law. That's very clear in the text here. 
partiality is one expression of, expression of not loving neighbors as yourself. When you do not do this, you are not keeping God's law, and you are a transgressor. That is right in the text. Here's the hope, though. Here's the joy. God delights in his people walking in holiness. God delights in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in his people. Addressing, confessing, and repenting are ways that we can honor God in the way that we live. This builds our relationship with God. This will strengthen the church drastically. If we have categories for these things and we can openly discuss the topic of ethnic sins with level heads, joyful hearts, with the theology provided to us in the scripture, I'm talking about total depravity and also total justification, then there is nothing that can stop us or should stop us from leaning into these conversations. And if we don't know this... (laughs) We're going to miss the joy of forgiveness, of extending that forgiveness to others and receiving that forgiveness at all. The joy of bitterness being released. The joy of fulfilling the law of God and forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's what we're called to. And I'm still working on this one. And it's hard. In some days it feels impossible. But then the word of God looks at me and it says, but shall I forgive them as many as seven times? And then Jesus tells me 70 times seven. Complete and total forgiveness in light of what I've received from Christ, which is complete and total forgiveness. If we don't act as if this is true or what we're called to, we will not ex- experience the joy and the blessing of walking in the light. We miss out on sanctification, <laughs> of being conformed and morphed more and more into the image of Christ. Who wants out on that? I want to look more like Christ in this area. I want to look more like Christ in the totality of my life. If there is something that is hindering me from looking more like Christ, I need to punch that in the face. And I need to lean in and say, Lord, what are you wanting from me in this area? And it affects our witness. (laughs) We can miss the opportunity to to die to ourselves, and we ourselves can be a stumbling block to the gospel rather than a gateway to it. (laughs) We have to acknowledge the reality that total depravity has affected our view of ethnicity and our attitudes towards other ethnicities. Again, I'm not just, I mean, this room's full of a lot of white people. I'm not just talking to white people. I'm including myself in all of this. I think that's missing from the broader conversation. It is not a one-way street. Mutual responsibility. George Yancey, I meant to bring that book. I totally forgot. Um, Anyway, we can get into that later. Um, Whoever's in my discussion group will talk about him. (laughs) Anyway, moving back to my outline. To the person who is here, who has been sinned against blatantly, or inadvertently, over and over and over again in one or more areas of these ethnic sins, and you're angry, but more than angry, you're sad. The sins against you do not lessen the Father's love for you. And actually, there is a nearness to God that those who are lowly will experience. You see that in Isaiah 57 12. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with the lowly. And also Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, 
He's got his arm around you and he says, son or daughter, I'm here for you. You are dignified. You are royalty. You are made in my image. And so as we work to forgive and regain dignity that was actually never taken away from us, we must remember Christ's heart for us. Part of killing partiality is giving out the judgment that we've received to others. And that judgment I'm talking, to you, talking about is the judgment we've received from God, which is mercy. <laughs> also, a sidebar here. I, just, I have to tell the story about Numbers chapter 12 and the consequences of ethnic partiality because God does not play when it comes to ethnic partiality. He is for the eradicating of these partialities so they will be dealt with, every single one of them. Numbers 12, it's a story where... Uh, Moses gets confronted by Aaron and Miriam. And here, here's, here's the line in the text. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Cushite means a woman from Cush, which is a region south of Ethiopia that is known for their darker black skin. J. Daniel Hayes writes in his book, From Every People and Nation, A Biblical Theology of Race, that Cush is, quote, used regularly to refer to the area south of Egypt and above the cataracts of the Nile, where a black African civilization flourished for over 2,000 years. Thus, it is quite clear that Moses marries a black African woman. All right? So that's what's going on. Moses married a black woman, and then this goes down. These people confront him, and God doesn't say, well, I kind of understand. It is, it is a little different in and out of the norm of what we're used to, it says, quote, and the Lord heard it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, and this is very specific language, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And there's a point afterwards where Moses is like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Like, can you just, like, forgive them, like, have mercy on them and kind of let, let them off the hook? And God says no. <laughs> he says she's going to go through the entire seven-day treatment here because of the way she came against one of my leaders, and the reason she came against one of my leaders is unacceptable for those who I shall call my people. Point number two, there is partiality in all of us. We believe in total depravity, which means we will give in to partialities. We won't always love our neighbor as ourself. We will cast judgment, and we can even try to sidestep the Holy Spirit's conviction. We react to, <laughs> we react to the culture rather than the scripture. <laughs> Let me tell you, the reaction to everything is racist, which is out there right now, the reaction to that is not... <laughs> There isn't a racist bone in my body. Y'all, we all got racist bones in all of our bodies. The reaction needs to be, what does Scripture say about my heart and my motives? If we believe in total depravity, it should not surprise us that we may be guilty in this area. And there's joy in recognizing sin and repenting from it. Psalm 32 says this, this is, I'm going to read verses 3, 4, then verses 1 and 2. It says, For when I kept silent, when I did not confess with my mouth, when I did not repent and turn away from my sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Contrasted with this 
Blessed, that can be translated as happy. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against, the, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There is joy in delighting in the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Spurgeon's got this quote. He's always a great guy to like look at when talking about, oh, my self-esteem is low. And it's like, no, your self-esteem is actually not low enough because you're actually worse than you think. Uh, he says, if you have your moral portrait painted, and it is ugly, be satisfied, for it only needs a few blacker touches, and it would still be nearer the truth. So uh, if you look in your outline, I'm actually going to read from our statement of faith, the section entitled, The Effects of Sin. So this is what we hold to. (laughs) From the inherited, brought down to us, corruption of humanity, arise all the sins that we commit. All people are now by nature enemies of God, living under the power of Satan, subject to the curse of the law, and, listen, deserving of eternal punishment. Moreover, lean in here, the whole nature of man has been corrupted by the fall, fall, and no part of man is untainted by sin. Although fallen people remain in the image of God and manifest the virtues of common grace, they are incapable of pleasing God, meriting his favor, or freeing themselves from their bondage to sin. Their hearts are hardened. Their understanding is darkened. Their consciences are corrupted. Their spiritual sight is blinded, and their deeds are evil. Therefore, all people are dead in sin and without hope apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. We are all far worse than we think. uh, Dan Ortland released a new book called, that's probably not new anymore, maybe it came out last year, called Deeper, in which he just talks about, like, how do we, like, lean in more and more to the faith of Jesus Christ? Like, how do we grow? And it's just like, well, you look at the stuff you already know and you just keep going deeper. Chapter 2 is my favorite chapter in that entire book, and it's called Despair. He said, one of the reasons we don't experience the joy of the gospel is because we don't despair enough. We love the gospel. We've got to have gospel-centered everything, which is, yes, I agree with. But we need to understand and sit with the reality of our sins. Because when we sit with the reality of our sins and the motives in our hearts, the gospel just gets sweeter and sweeter. We are all far worse than we think or want to admit, but we do have a Savior and we do have one who has forgiven us. So once we kill and go to war against these ethnic sins, talking about hatred, pride, partiality, oppression, idolatry, or neglect, Then we get to move on to the fun stuff of being in a multi-ethnic community. The celebration of multi-ethnic expressions that God has graced us with. But we've got to deal with the sins in our heart. (laughs) Our theology empowers us to stare our ethnic sins in the face, to acknowledge it and confront it in our lives. God requires us to lean into exploring this area in our lives. Honestly, where am I personally regarding this? This writing this sermon wrecked me, man. We are far worse off than we think. What am I allowing to shape my convictions and my responses to the area of ethnic sins? Am I oversaturated in this topic? That is a good question to ask. And if so, what is God calling me to step back from? And what is God calling me to lean into? 
Do I need to fast from certain resources? We all have categories of fasting from food for spiritual growth and different things, and fasting from social media has become a regular thing. But ought we not fast from certain news outlets? What would that do for our spiritual health? I don't think it's going to make us more worldly. (laughs) Dishonesty and anger surround the categories of ethnic sins. Dishonesty because we don't enjoy digging it into our hearts. I mean, it's called killing sin because it's not a pleasant thing. Like, it doesn't feel good to be like, yo, I am really, really messed up. It hurts. It's hard. But God calls us to do it. We don't enjoy digging into our hearts and finding the gunk and leftover of ethnic sins that are sticking to our ribs. But we've got to reckon with it. And this is not, unfortunately, I'm sorry, it's not a one and done, got it, check it off the box. No, it is something that we must regularly examine in our lives. And anger, because that is one of the main ways these ethnic sins manifest themselves in ugly ways. Whether you're angry at the media for portraying something a certain way or spinning a type of narrative, and then you get angry at others and their responses and their actions, then you're all of a sudden you're angry at strangers on the internet, then you're angry at strangers on the street, and then it comes close to home. (laughs) And you're angry at friends that you know and you love. So the person here who is wrestling with guilt (laughs) in this topic whether or not in this moment you're realizing, you know what, I can actually see some of these ethnic sins in my life. These temptations are pulling me in. Or there's a memory that you have of years ago, whether it's in a locker room, at work, or something related, and there is rising shame regarding this topic. Let me stop you there. Conviction is godly. Shame is demonic. Lean into the conviction and act however the Spirit is calling you to act. Whether it's reaching out to the person, confessing to others, repenting. But you take that shame and you can toss that in the garbage. Christ's blood removes your shame. There are people whom we need to reconcile with. There are thoughts and judgments that we lob at folks without even bothering to have conversations with them. And that is ungodly. What we can do is we can avoid conversations and conflicts because of our evil motives. Even if the motive manifests itself as a self-protection and not wanting to deal with peeling the painful scales of our fleshly desires off, we've got to do the hard work of leaning into relationships with the doctrine of justification as the engine that drives the conversations and makes them possible. I'm going to get more on that in just a moment. So what's one application we can have here? Is, is do this. Identify which ethnic sin category you are giving into or one which has the most tempting pull on your heart. Highlight it in your outline and commit whether it's whatever period of time, whether it's a week, a month, or a year, or whatever, to pray against that specific type of ethnic sin each day. Because we will not overcome our sins without a dependency on the Spirit expressed through regular prayer. We need God, and praise Jesus, we have God. So let us go to him in this. These sins cannot be conquered apart from prayer, and the whole of our lives must be consecrated to God. We don't get a pass on this area because it's complex. God is calling us to holiness even here. And I know it's difficult to kill sins and reckon with ourselves, but it's an act of worship. There is like a fun aspect of it. When you look at something, you're saying, oh, I'm like wrong in this area. Like I love to be corrected in that way. 
And, and it's, 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 it's an act of worship because it's us saying, I want to be more like you, God. I want these partialities and these sins out of my life and away from me because I adore you and I want to glorify you with my life because you are majestic and you are holy and you are everything that I want in this life. Therefore, I'm going to look at myself honestly and say I need to get rid of these things and look to Christ and his beauty and his glory. I want to reflect your image and your character. I want to love like the God who is love. Point number three. That's my favorite point. There's justification for all of us. Again, I'm going to read from our statement of faith. It is in your outline, justification and adoption. Ooh, man, this is what we've received in Christ. This is what he accomplished on the cross. In their union with Christ, believers freely receive all the benefits of the gospel. Those whom God effectually calls to himself, he justifies in Christ, forgiving all of their sins and declaring them righteous and acceptable in his sight. This declaration is judicial, addressing not our nature, but our status with regard to God's law. It is definitive, being neither gradually gained nor able to be lost, and it is gracious. A free gift of God's righteousness based on nothing worked in us or by us, but received freely by faith. The sole ground of our justification is the righteousness of Christ, whose life of perfect obedience is imputed to us and whose substitutionary death on our behalf completely satisfies the demands of God's justice toward our sins. Those whom God justifies, he adopts into his family, granting them the full status, rights, and privileges of beloved sons. As God's children, we receive his name enjoy access into his presence, experience his care and discipline, and eagerly await the glorious inheritance he promises his own. Guys, our justification helps us. We can see our sins and bring them to the Savior. Our theology transforms the way we think of ethnic sins and their solutions. We can become in the gospel, we can become the quickest to confess and the quickest to forgive and live joyfully in a multi-ethnic community that displays the beautiful glory and creativity of our creator. Our church can experience true Christian fellowship that comes from the beautiful doctrine of our justification. So how does uh, justification help us? And this is from Shylin's book. He's at, there's one section where he has just these bullet points of just, well, you want to know how the doctrine of justification helps us? Here's how. I'm just going to blast through these. The doctrine of justification exhorts us to acknowledge our own ethnic sins. The doctrine of justification empowers us to forgive the ethnic sins of other Christians. The doctrine of justification emboldens us to call out the ethnic sins of our own group. The doctrine of justification encourages us to find our ultimate identity in Christ. Our theology removes the guilt and shame of ethnic sins. Our theology restores relationship and relationships and empowers reconciliation with Jesus as our Savior. There is no sin that is not forgiven. With Jesus, there is no sin that we can't forgive. 
God wants us to examine ourselves under the light of Scripture and put action to killing partiality and other ethnic sins in our hearts. God wants us to apply the gospel to our ethnic sins and say, yes, I'm guilty and tempted in these ways, and so I'm just going to go forth and love the mess out of my brothers and sisters in this room. God wants us to have an impenetrable fortress of forgiveness, no matter the sin, no matter the slur or the hatred against us. I've got more forgiveness in the bag for you. I'm going to be the most forgiving and merciful friend you have because I have the most forgiving and merciful Savior who has rescued me. That ought to be our attitude. So what are some things we can do? We can read uh, Shailen's book, The New Reformation. It's theologically conversational. It argues from a reformed perspective that drives his, his reasoning. It reads like a Pauline letter. Like he'll talk about these doctrines and he'll talk about like some issues, but he can't help himself. But like he has like each paragraph is like, well, I got to start worshiping God because of these truths that I just read about or that I just uh, talked about. Um, another thing you can do is read Isaac Adams' book, Talking About Race. Does anyone here not have that book, Isaac Adams, Talking About Race? There's a bunch of copies over there. Just grab one on your way out. The, I, I have a lot left. Um, so grab, grab that book. It's conversational. Uh, it's unique in that it, it's, a, it's a narrative. So what he does is he tells different stories um, of different uh, ethnic, ethnic folks and kind of where they land on certain issues. And he does a good job of not making caricatures. But the, the most helpful thing is at the end, he essentially counsels those people in the situations that they're in. So you get pastoral contemplations. Both have wonderful tones. And uh, one big benefit of Isaac's book is that it takes time to step out of the black-white divide and gets into some thoughts from other ethnicities, which I was incredibly helped with in that book. So where does God require this of me? What situation can I apply this? Uh, Primarily in the church, there ought to be an unbreakable bond because of the spirit of unity and the bond of peace that we all share. The church is the place where ethnic sins go to die. (laughs) And we have a Savior who is more than sufficient for this. We have the Spirit who is more than capable to help us in this. The person or people who are flashing across your mind right now, let's not smother those thoughts with a blanket until the conviction of the Spirit cools down and our conscience is eased. God is calling us to act. We must put actions to the faith that we proclaim. And how? One simple way is by reaching out. You could literally send a text right now. I won't look up. Go ahead, pull out your phone, send a text. This moment to an individual saying, can we talk later? There's something I want to apologize for. There's something I want to address or circle back to from an earlier time. Church, we get to, in our interactions with one another, act out the gospel implications. The dividing wall of hostility has already been torn down. We have been reconciled to one another, so now we get to live it out as if that's our true reality because it is. They out there, the world, are going to know that we belong to him by the way in which we love each other, mortifying, meaning killing ethnic sins in our lives, confessing to one another, moving from toleration to celebration, and also enjoyment. And we get to do all these things. Mickey did a great job on Sunday with this rugged Romans 8 swagger that knows for a fact that nothing can condemn us or stand against us because God is for us. Although Mickey didn't use the word swagger. That's my take on it. But we have to realize that God is on our side in this. We're not doing this on our own. He's saying, yes, come to me moment by moment, and I will give you strength. You feel one of those ethnic sins rearing its ugly ugly and blasphemous head? Come to me, and I will beat it to a bloody pope, and you can come to me over and over and over again. 
Something you can do is have someone at your house to eat that you haven't had before. And this doesn't even need to necessarily cross ethnic lines. There is so much diversity in the body of Christ. Occupations and hobbies and seasons of life and skill sets and upbringing, all these different things give us a beautiful body of Christ that we get to enjoy and delight in Sunday after Sunday and the days in between. We need to practice engaging in the joy of the diversity that God has blessed us with. If we tackle these issues and these sins like Christians, it's going to blow people's minds. It's going to highlight the church as a beacon of light in a world of darkness, hatred, and confusion. And when I say like Christians, I mean people who are driven by the doctrine of justification, people who are driven to love their neighbor as themselves, who forgive, who dialogue, who love, who are humble leading with their struggles and their sins that they're bringing to the table rather than accusations and conclusions they've already made in their minds. And you can even bring these attributes to the conversations in the workplace or, for, or wherever you have been sent by God as a witness to testify to the love of God. I want us to feel simultaneously conviction and relief, inspired that my sin in this area is very real, but so is my Jesus. <laughs> So is the forgiveness from the cross. So is my permanent status as one who cannot be condemned. So is my justification in him. God is for us, therefore, who can stand against us? God has reconciled us to himself and to one another. In our glorious gospel of grace, ethnic sins don't stand a chance. The gospel functions for us. The love of Christ is displayed through us. The power of the Holy Spirit is strengthening us. We got a lot going for us, guys. God desires us to shine brightly in this area in the midst of a dark world. We pour out the forgiveness received. Uh, we pour out the forgiveness that we've received onto others. We reconcile and we confess our sins. And we all do so knowing the permanent and guaranteed result of our beautiful inheritance that is kept for us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what good news the gospel is for us. What glorious courage it gives us uh, to look at ourselves in, in all honesty and see there's nothing that we need to hide because we've got a Savior that removes shame and removes guilt and removes condemnation. So Lord, in your kindness, would you help us joyfully lean into these things and experience the bliss and the joy of gospel freedom? Lord, would you help Covenant Fellowship Church move forward in this area in a way that is unique, in a way that is full of love, in a way that is armed with, with the wonderful word of God and the Holy Spirit in a way that makes us stand out as unique, that the world would look at us and say, what is going on in there? Let me in on it. God, help us in this. We love you. We love you so much. You are so kind to us. And we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.